Section 6 of the Epidemics of the Middle Ages by Eustace Hecker Translated by Benjamin Guy Babington This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Black Death, Chapter 2, The Disease The most memorable example of what has been advanced is afforded by great pestilence of the 14th century, which desolated Asia, Europe, and Africa, and of which the people yet preserved the remembrance in gloomy traditions. It was an oriental plague marked by inflammatory boils and tumors of the glands, such as break out in no other febrile disease. On account of these inflammatory boils, and from the black spots indicatory of a putrid decomposition which appeared upon the skin, it was called in Germany and in the northern kingdoms of Europe the Black Death, and in Italy la mortalega grande the great mortality few testimonies are presented to us respecting its symptoms and its course yet these are sufficient to throw light upon the form of the malady and they are worthy of credence from their coincidence with the signs of the same disease in modern times the imperial writer cantacusenus whose own son andronicus died of this plague in constantinople notices great imposthumes of the thighs and arms of those affected which when opened afforded relief by the discharge of an offensive matter buboes which are the infallible signs of the oriental plague are thus plainly indicated for he makes separate mention of smaller boils on the arms and in the face as also in other parts of the body and clearly distinguishes these from the blisters which are no less produced by plague in all its forms in many cases black spots broke out all over the body either single or united and confluent these symptoms were not all found in every case in many one alone was sufficient to cause death while some patients recovered contrary to expectation though afflicted with all symptoms of cephalic affection were frequent many patients became stupefied and fell into a deep sleep losing also their speech from palsy of the tongue others remained sleepless and without rest the fauces and tongue were black and as if suffused with blood no beverage would assuage their burning thirst so that their sufferings continued without alleviation until terminated by death, which many in their despair accelerated with their own hands. Contagion was evident, for attendants caught the disease of their relations and friends, and many houses in the capital were bereft even of their last inhabitant. Thus far the ordinary circumstances only of the Oriental plague occurred. Still deeper sufferings, however, were connected with this pestilence, such as have not been felt at other times. The organs of respiration were seized with a putrid inflammation. A violent pain in the chest attacked the patient. Blood was expectorated, and the breath diffused a pestiferous odor. In the West, the following were the predominating symptoms on the eruption of this disease. An ardent fever accompanied by an evacuation of blood, proved fatal in the first three days. It appears that buboes and inflammatory boils did not at first come out at all, but that the disease, 
in the form of carbuncular anthraxartigen affection of the lungs effected the destruction of life before the other symptoms were developed thus did the plague rage in avignon for six or eight weeks and the pestilential breath of the sick who expectorated blood caused a terrible contagion far and near for even the vicinity of those who had fallen ill of plague was certain death so that parents abandoned their infected children and all the ties of kindred were dissolved after this period buboes in the axilla and in the groin and inflammatory boils all over the body made their appearance but it was not until seven months afterwards that some patients recovered with matured buboes as in the ordinary milder form of the plague such is the report of the courageous guido choliac who vindicated the honor of medicine by bidding defiance to danger boldly and constantly assisting the affected and disdaining the excuse of his colleagues who held the arabian notion that medical aid was unavailing and that contagion justified flight he saw the plague twice in avignon first in the year thirteen forty eight from january to august and then twelve years later in the autumn when it returned from germany and for nine months spread general distress and terror the first time it raged chiefly among the poor but in the year thirteen sixty more among the higher classes it now also destroyed a great many children whom it had formerly spared but few women the like was seen in egypt here also inflammation of the lungs was predominant and destroyed quickly and infallibly with burning heat and expectoration of blood here too the breath of the sick spread a deadly contagion and human aid was as vain as it was destructive to those who approached the infected boccaccio who was an eyewitness of its incredible fatality in florence the seat of the revival of science gives a more lively description of the attack of the disease than his non-medical contemporaries it commenced here not as in the east with bleeding at the nose a sure sign of inevitable death but there took place at the beginning both in men and women tumors in the groin and in the axilla varying in circumference up to the size of an apple or an egg and called by the people pest boils gavocioli then there appeared similar tumors indiscriminately over all parts of the body and black or blue spots came out on the arms or thighs or in other parts either single and large or small and thickly studded these spots proved equally fatal with the pest boils which had been from the first regarded as a sure sign of death no power of medicine brought relief almost all died within the first three days some sooner some later after the appearance of these signs and for the most part entirely without fever or other symptoms the plague spread itself with the greater fury as it communicated from the sick to the healthy like fire among dry and oily fuel and even contact with the clothes and other articles which had been used by the infected seemed to induce the disease as it advanced not only men but animals fell sick and shortly expired if they had touched things belonging to the diseased or dead 
Thus Boccaccio himself saw two hogs on the rags of a person who had died of plague, after staggering about for a short time, fall down dead as if they had taken poison. In other places, multitudes of dogs, cats, fowls, and other animals fell victims to the contagion. And it is to be presumed that other episodes among animals likewise took place, although the ignorant writers of the 14th century are silent on this point. In Germany there was a repetition in every respect of the same phenomena. The infallible signs of the oriental buba plague, with its inevitable contagion, were found there as everywhere else. But the mortality was not nearly so great as in the other parts of Europe. The accounts do not all make mention of the spitting of blood, the diagnostic symptom of this fatal pestilence. We are not, however, thence to conclude that there was any considerable mitigation or modification of the disease, for we must not only take into account the defectiveness of the chronicles, but that isolated testimonies are often contradicted by many others. Thus the chronicles of Strasbourg, which only take notice of boils and glandular swellings in the axillae in groins, are opposed by another account, according to which the mortal spitting of blood was met with in Germany. But this again is rendered suspicious, as the narrator postpones the death of those who were thus affected to the sixth and even the eighth day, whereas no other author sanctions so long a course of the disease. And even in Strasbourg, where a mitigation of the plague may with most probability be assumed, since in the year 1349 only 16,000 people were carried off, the generality expired by the third or fourth day. In Austria, and especially in Vienna, the plague was fully as malignant as anywhere, so that the patients who had red spots and black boils, as well as those afflicted with tumid glands, died about the third day. And lastly, very frequent sudden deaths occurred on the coast of the North Sea and in Westphalia, without any further development of the malady. To France, this plague came in a northern direction from Avignon, and was there more destructive than in Germany, so that in many places not more than two in twenty of the inhabitants survived. Many were struck as if by lightning, and died on the spot, and this more frequently among the young and strong than the old. Patients with enlarged glands in the axillae and groins scarcely survived two or three days, and no sooner did these fatal signs appear than they bid adieu to the world and sought consolation only in the absolution which Pope Clement VI promised them in the hour of death. In England the malady appeared, as at Avignon, with spitting of blood and with the same fatality, so that the sick who were afflicted either with this symptom or with vomiting of blood died in some cases immediately, in others within twelve hours, or the latest in two days. The inflammatory boils and buboes in the groins and axillae were recognized at once as prognosticating a fatal issue, and those were past all hope of recovery in whom they arose in numbers all over the body. It was not till towards the close of the plague that they ventured to open, by incision, these hard and dry boils, when matter flowed from them in small quantity, 
and thus, by compelling nature to a critical suppuration, many patients were saved. Every spot which the sick had touched, their breath, their clothes, spread the contagion, and, as in all other places, the attendants and friends, who were either blind to their danger or heroically despised it, fell a sacrifice to their sympathy. Even the eyes of the patient were considered as sources of contagion which had the power of acting at a distance, whether on account of their unwanted luster, or the distortion which they always suffer in plague, or whether in conformity with an ancient notion, according to which the sight was considered as the bearer of a demoniacal enchantment. Flight from the infected cities seldom availed the fearful, for the germ of the disease adhered to them, and they fell sick, remote from assistance, in the solitude of their country houses. Thus did the plague spread over England with unexampled rapidity, after it had first broken out in the county of Dorset, whence it advanced through the counties of Devon and Somerset to Bristol, and thence reached Gloucester, Oxford, and London. Probably few places escaped, perhaps not any, for the annals of contemporaries report that throughout the land only a tenth part of the inhabitants remained alive. From England the contagion was carried by a ship to Bergen, the capital of Norway, where the plague then broke out in its most frightful form with vomiting of blood, and throughout the whole country spared not more than a third of the inhabitants. The sailors found no refuge in their ships, and vessels were often seen driving about on the ocean and drifting on shore, whose crews had perished to the last man. In Poland, the infected were attacked with spitting of blood and died in a few days in such vast numbers that, as it has been affirmed, scarcely a fourth of the inhabitants were left. Finally, in Russia, the plague appeared two years later than in southern Europe, yet here again with the same symptoms as elsewhere. Russian contemporaries have recorded that it began with rigor, heat, and darting pain in the shoulders and back, that it was accompanied by spitting of blood and terminated fatally in two or at most three days. It is not till the year 1360 that we find buboes mentioned as occurring in the neck, in the axillae, and in the groins, which are stated to have broken out when the spitting of blood had continued some time. According to the experience of Western Europe, however, it cannot be assumed that these symptoms did not appear at an earlier period. Thus much from authentic sources on the nature of the Black Death. The descriptions which have been communicated contain, with a few unimportant exceptions, all the symptoms of the Oriental Plague which have been observed in more modern times, no doubt can obtain on this point. The facts are placed clearly before our eyes. We must, however, bear in mind that this violent disease does not always appear in the same form, and that while the essence of the poison which it produces and which is separated so abundantly from the body of the patient remains unchanged, it is proteiform in its varieties, from the almost imperceptible vesicle unaccompanied by fever which exists for some time before it extends its poison inwardly and then excites fever and buboes, to the fatal form in which carbuncular inflammations fall upon the most important viscera. 
such was the form which the plague assumed in the fourteenth century for the accompanying chest affection which appeared in all the countries whereof we have received any account cannot on a comparison with similar and familiar symptoms be considered as any other than the inflammation of the lungs of modern medicine a disease which at present only appears sporadically and owing to a putrid decomposition of the fluids is probably combined with hemorrhages from the vessels of the lungs now as every carbuncle whether it be cutaneous or internal generates in abundance the matter of contagion which has given rise to it so therefore must the breath of the affected have been poisonous in this plague and on this account its power of contagion wonderfully increased wherefore the opinion appears incontrovertible that owing to the accumulated numbers of the diseased not only individual chambers and houses but whole cities were infected which moreover in the middle ages were with few exceptions narrowly built kept in a filthy state and surrounded with stagnant ditches flight was in consequence of no avail to the timid for even though they had sedulously avoided all communication with the diseased and the suspected yet their clothes were saturated with the pestiferous atmosphere and every inspiration imparted to them the seeds of the destructive malady which in the greater number of cases germinated with but too much fertility add to which the usual propagation of the plague through clothes beds and a thousand other things to which the pestilential poison adheres a propagation which from want of caution must have been infinitely multiplied and since articles of this kind removed from the excess of air not only retain the matter of contagion for an indefinite period but also increase its activity and engender it like a living being frightful ill consequences followed for many years after the first fury of the pestilence was past the affection of the stomach often mentioned in vague terms and occasionally as a vomiting of blood was doubtless only a subordinate symptom even if it be admitted that actual hematemesis did occur for the difficulty of distinguishing a flow of blood from the stomach from a pulmonic expectoration of that fluid is to non-medical men even in common cases not inconsiderable how much greater then must it have been in so terrible a disease where assistants could not venture to approach the sick without exposing themselves to certain death only two medical descriptions of the malady have reached us the one by the brave guy de Chouliac, the other by raymond chalin de vinario a very experienced scholar who was well versed in the learning of his time the former takes notice only of fatal coughing of blood the latter besides this notices epistaxis hematuria and fluxes of blood from the bowels as symptoms of such decided and speedy mortality that those patients in whom they were observed usually died on the same or the following day that a vomiting of blood may not here and there have taken place perhaps have been even prevalent in many places is from a consideration of the nature of the disease by no means to be denied for every putrid decomposition of the fluids begets a tendency to hemorrhages of all kinds here however it is a question of historical certainty 
which after these doubts is by no means established. Had not so speedy a death followed the expectoration of blood, we should certainly have received more detailed intelligence respecting other hemorrhages. But the malady had no time to extend its effects further over the extremities of the vessels. After its first fury, however, was spent, the pestilence passed into the usual febrile form of the oriental plague. Internal carbuncular inflammations no longer took place, and hemorrhages became phenomena no more essential in this than they are in any other febrile disorders. Chalin, who observed not only the great mortality of 1348 and the plague of 1360, but also that of 1373 and 1382, speaks, moreover, of affections of the throat, and describes the black spots of plague patients more satisfactorily than any of his contemporaries. The former appeared but in a few cases, and consisted in carbuncular inflammation of the gullet, with the difficulty of swallowing, even to suffocation, to which in some instances was added inflammation of the ceruminous glands of the ears, with tumors producing great deformity. Such patients, as well as others, were affected with expectoration of blood. But they did not usually die before the sixth, and sometimes even so late as the fourteenth day. The same occurrence, it is well known, is not uncommon in other pestilences, as also blisters on the surface of the body, in different places, in the vicinity of which, tumid glands and inflammatory boils, surrounded by discolored and black streaks, arose, and thus indicated the reception of the poison. These streaked spots were called, by an apt comparison, the girdle, and this appearance was justly considered extremely dangerous. End of section 6